1: Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast and we're going to continue on our month's topic of well-being and with that in mind I'm delighted to have Dr Neha Sangwan with us now she is an engineer turned medical doctor um, and she has now an executive coach and she specializes in challenging this global epidemic of burnout as she describes it so how we can look at well-being and avoiding burnout on a on a grander and a different scale um, Naya, would you like to explain more about your background and what that really,
2: what that really looks like? Sure, well, hello everybody. Uh, thank you, Lucinda, for having me. I would say, um, you know, yes, I'm a mechanical and biomedical engineer. Uh, yes, I'm an internal medicine doctor and physician. That just, all that just means is I'm a really good Indian child. And then when I burned out myself, which was 20 years ago in 2004, It really came clear to me how little I had learned about burnout. I didn't even recognize it when it happened, how little my colleagues knew about it. Yet, this is where when somebody in a company goes to employee assistance program, they go to HR, HR sends them to me. And what I realized was if me and my colleagues haven't been trained in this and don't know what it is how can we be helping other people? So that was a big wake up call for me, and I knew I needed to get myself out of what I was in and really solve this. And I have dedicated the next two decades to helping healthcare professionals and tens of thousands of other companies, you know, employees and leaders and companies do this as well. So
1: clearly, when you burnt out, you were a medic at that point. You're because you're saying your colleagues. So you'd gone through your um, science. Stage and you got into medicine. So your colleagues there didn't recognize it.
2: How did you recognize that you had burnout yourself? Uh, This was a scary moment. So I walked in, I'm a hospital physician. Okay. It's 2004. I want you to imagine me. I'm coming into the hospital and I have 18 hospitalized patients. So they're the sickest of the sickest. They're the ones admitted. I am on my last day of my rotation and somebody says to me, a colleague can't, you know, is calling in sick. Can you hold the pager that takes all incoming transfers from all regions while you sign out your 18 patients? Right. I'm I was such a people pleaser. I just wanted to serve everybody. I wanted to get an A. I wanted to say yes to everybody because I wanted to avoid conflict. In that moment, I said, sure, give me the pager. Five hours later into that shift, I had only seen two of my 18 patients. And I walked up to a nurse and I said, Nina, could you please get me 40 equivalents of IV potassium for the gentleman in 636? And she looked at me and said, Dr. Sangwon, are you okay? And honestly, it was my first indication that I might not be. And
1: why? And I said, sorry, that because that was a wrong dose or but you were asking what, what was wrong about that statement?
2: Yeah, I said, I said, why? Why are you asking me that? And she said, because that's the fourth time. In under five minutes i've asked you that you've asked me that same question and i've answered you every time wow okay and i was like okay something's wrong here i don't know what's wrong so i went to the uh faculty like the bathroom and i looked in the mirror i pulled out a uh phone the hospital phone and i called a psychiatrist colleague because six months earlier a friend of mine Had burned out and just kind of disappeared right so gone on medical leave no one heard anything about it but she told me who helped her in that moment so somewhere in my psyche i remembered call him and so i called him and i said hi uh this is neha and i really would love to see you when is the earliest i can see you he said how about five o'clock today it was 11 a.m how about five o'clock today and i said how about now And that's code word in medicine for I'm the emergency. Yeah. Right. So I went there an hour later. uh, He had diagnosed me with a classic case of people pleasing and of ignoring my own needs to be in service of everybody else. And that he also, I had explained to him that I was experiencing bullying in the environment from the partners. I was not a partner yet from the partners uh, about my patients and all of this. I explained that to him and he said, oh, there's this experience Neha, this is not on one level. It never happens on one level and it's not your fault. What I want you to know is that there's your part of this, there's the culture in which you're working and there is the environment of the healthcare system that you've been a part of now for decades. And all of these factors are coming together in this moment. And you are getting a wake up call. And I am so grateful for that man. Because, you know, together, we started to learn, discover kind of I was pushing back on him, he was sharing with me. And, you know, I wrote a book right about this. And in like chapter two, I give you the five behind the scenes conversations between me and him, two doctors talking about how can we not have been taught this? How are we the ones in charge of helping other people? But the only tools we really have are writing them for time off, medical leave or stress leave, giving them some cocktail of medications for an antidepressant, anti-anxiety or sleep medications to try and get their physiology back on track. And then 10 days or a month later, when we will send them back in the ring for round two with no understanding of how they got there and no new tools to change how they show up. So how can they actually succeed was my really big concern and so I, that's why I've spent the last two decades studying this, helping people, figuring it out, healing myself, most importantly, so that I can now serve from a place of um, experience. And every day I'm healing. So, you know, I but, learn new things all the time. And, and, and so thank
1: you. And then I was going to say, so that, that sort of you, that that whole structure that we were talking about, I think would be really useful for our audience when we look at the um, cultures that we work in. But I suppose staying with your... Burnout, out your personal um, experience. Obviously you're a, a medic and gosh, if I've got people listening who are doctors over here, they're under so much pressure. Um, they've just finished a, a strike over here in terms of junior doctors. But obviously a majority of our audience are HR professionals. Yeah. And very often they are the first port of call that people come to for help. And very often, I don't know whether to call themselves people pleasers and I'm interested in the fact you use that term. because,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah,
2: it's my particular flavor of what, what caused me stress. And very young, I learned that I needed to create safety in the world around me because I was actually getting bullied when I was young. And so what I did was I made sure that I started to acquiesce what I needed to, in order to stay attached to the people around me. Yeah, And so, you know, many children do that. And it's not the only path to burnout, but it was mine. I can see so- it's more predominant as well, because there are people in, in terms of transactional
1: analysis or drivers that, that you maybe are more like more prone to it if you're a people pleaser because you are
2: putting your own yeah. needs. needs. So you, know, you, you negate and think about it. I'm a coach. I'm a healer. I'm a, you know, in healthcare. What's my job? My job is to make other people's crises and emergencies more important than my own biology. I mean, we used to have a saying that was like, eat when you can, sleep when you can, pee when you can. Like that wasn't important. What was important was who's having a heart attack, who's bleeding out, who's this, right? And now when I think about HR, I think to myself, wow, there's like a parallel. There's a similarity because HR is there for anybody's crisis, like whatever's happening, their job, you you come to HR, so you know, in a parallel way, maybe maybe the stakes aren't life and death, but the crisis is their job. Absolutely, and
1: similarly, they don't necessarily have the tools. I mean, interesting, you say that clinicians don't necessarily have the tools to deal with burnout. Neither do HR, and neither, neither necessarily do um, medical doctors over here. And know you might refer people there, um, in terms of your experience, what would you say a good response is from somebody if you if someone came to you? Uh, It's yourself, but also if someone came to you where you had um, concerns that they were at risk of burnout.
2: Yeah. So there's a couple different ways that we can treat something. What I want you to know is what we're doing in medicine is good for an acute crisis. So in an acute crisis where someone's about to fall over the cliff, it's our job to pull them back and say, stop working, time off. I'm going to stop this bullet train from going. Secondly, it's our job to get them to sleep again, to get them their anxiety, their depression, whatever it is. We're the ones who can write the prescriptions for that. So that's phenomenal, but it's not enough. So now once we stop them, slow them down, maybe give them that professional uh, counseling, treatment, stress management, yoga, whatever they need to do to like get themselves back into rhythm what i'm proposing is in parallel to the crisis management that we also use this as a wake up call to ask them what strategies have you been using that you've outgrown that are no longer useful for you what where are you having where are you on the spectrum from burned out to fully charged and where are you having a net gain or a net drain of energy on a physical mental emotional social and spiritual level Because there's also this awareness that needs to be going in parallel for them. If each person comes to burnout in a pattern, choices, circumstances that are as unique as our fingerprint, then we need to treat them also as oh, my goodness, where are you in your life? What are the stress? What are the stressors here? So, something I want, I think a lot of people don't know is that stress causes or exacerbates. More than 80% of all physical illness. So why are we not asking people or getting getting to the root of their stress? Because once we can heal that, our body takes over and does what it's so good at doing. Like if you think about it, when you cut your finger and it's bleeding, you aren't thinking to yourself, I need clotting factor number nine to head to my right index finger. No, no. You put pressure on it and your body knows exactly what to do. So our job is to give people, stop. They're doing the right thing by sending people to mel- have medical professionals. But when they co- these people come back from leave, if you have not given them the support that they need to figure out how they uniquely got there and where they're having a net drain of energy, I don't believe that they have the tools that they need to now thrive in your organization. So we're talking
1: here about maintenance strategies, really, and sort of long term um, awareness rather than um, getting to this point where it's broken. It's fixing it before it's broken. It's about like a car, you know, you maintain it, it's servicing ourselves, that sort of thing. Um, One of the things I wondered about, and I think about this myself, actually, is not everybody's great at recognising when they're under stress. I mean, you know, you get these devices. I've got, you know, with watch thing. You get, oh, you you need to relax today. I'm thinking I feel fine. So what <laughs> you, in terms of, um, of of recognizing stress, and especially I think when things build up and build up gradually and gradually, like they can at work or a certain way of working, we kind of get used to it and you don't recognize that stress. Any views on that?
2: Sure. Okay. I think as a society, we have collectively sped up our external world faster and faster. And so now with devices, with this pace at which things are moving, right? Instant communication to everyone across the world, nearly. We have left our own bodies and we are very externally focused. This is why we don't pick up signals early, right? We are now, what do I need to do out here? We're very tuned in. And this is also why we need devices on us to tell us what our body is doing. Why, you know, if if we think about our ancestors, they knew that listening for a rustling in the trees was the difference between life and death. They were tuned in as much as they were listening outward. They paid attention to the data inside and outside. Okay. We don't do that anymore. So when I wake up in the morning, I, might look at my device to say, what's my readiness score? How well did I sleep? I don't actually check in to whether I feel rested. That is insane. Like that's amazing. So if you wanna know where we start with all of this, it's awareness. We have to start rebalancing our focus. When we're in a meeting, yeah, be in the meeting and be focused. And also have some awareness if your jaw is clenching, if your butt is numb, if your heart is racing because someone just took credit for something you did. We have to have, rather than reacting to the outside world, we have to pick up signals and decipher the language of our own bodies because it's giving us signals. Your body's talking. The question is, are you listening? And so we miss all the early signals. And then we wonder why we're in crisis like that day when I walked into the hospital and had no idea that I was so far beyond, you know, recognition that I wasn't functioning. That's why we're in trouble, because what we do to get through these days is we use strategies. So here's my time tested strategy I used to use to get through 36 hours in the hospital without sleep. Two ice cold sixteen ounce Mountain Dews plus a king size Snickers bar, and you could get me through thirty six hours without sleep. Oof. Okay. Well, whenever my biology has to stretch itself, uh, you know, co- repeatedly when I don't have enough sleep, when I'm exhausted, make my coffee, make it a double. Yeah. Right. I need an. E- I need a glass of wine after work to take the edge off. Mm-hmm. These are all m- strategies and mechanisms that we're using to miss the signals that we're tired, that we're, you know, we can't take on more, whatever it is. This is why we've, so we've sped up the external world. We've tuned out of our own early signals. And in fact, when we get them, we think the problem is our body and our mind says, you're fine. Keep going. You don't need, right? That's the conditioning of us wanting to succeed and belong in this external world we've created. Is that, is that clear? Uh, it's
1: very interesting. I was also thinking quite a lot of the time we go to devices, don't we? And we go and go mind, do mindless, sort of flitting through whatever it might be, which is, again, it's just external. So you're not- It's, and it's,
2: a, it's not a coping not. mechanism. You don't have to feel the discomfort in your body, the exhaustion in your body, the boredom of being at work and being disengaged, the not feeling connection and purpose. What is amazing to me is we 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 chase these metrics, but I'm wondering when are people gonna be ready to actually solve all of them? Because if we can teach our people, really, I have to say, if we can start with ourselves is really what I would say. But if, if like for me, it would be, oh, can I do this for my patients? Well, you know what my wake up call was? I'm the one, how could I help my patients? If I was the doctor who wasn't listening to her own body as I'm telling them to de stress and take care of themselves so they don't have a heart attack and they don't get sick and get sleep and eat properly when I'm not eating. Right? As, you, as you drink your way through, what is it, 16 ounces of mountain deer and your
1: giant Snickers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, yeah. Do what I say, not what I do. So, so yeah, that's an interesting um, point. Here. So, really just starting and reflecting and listening to those things. And I think, yeah, this is going out in January. It's an interesting time of year lots of people do things like dry january where you suddenly realize that all those things you're blocking you're blocking stuff out you're numbing things and yeah. in terms of the the positive so once you stop doing the the numbing you've got to then feel all these feelings or stress right. or boredom or whatever right. it is um i mean i guess meditation and mindfulness type things are are something that would jump to mind that you might recommend some people find that easier than others um, what other strategies would you say that if you're going to start with yourself are good ones to use?
2: Okay, I'm going to do this the same way I'm going to do burnout. Okay, there are there's an acute crisis where people are experiencing something and they can't, they're not comfortable with it. So they need something right now to shift how they feel. Okay, that's a crisis. Then there is, oh, wow you know my stomach's turning again i'm having that discomfort in my jaw my right shoulder is bothering me what's a mechan- what's a coping mechanism or strategy that in this moment i can use to rebalance reground recenter myself breathwork meditation massage yoga movement going for a run whatever it is okay or sugar caffeine sleep scrolling, doom scrolling, whatever it is. Okay. Those are strategies in the moment. Now I'm going to go to, do you want to solve this? If you want to solve it and you want to up level how you function, you have to get to the root cause of where you're having a net gain or a net drain of energy on a physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual level. Yeah. And figure out how once you figure out and customize where that's happening for you, You expand your awareness and you get the tools to say, okay, I want to address this. So let's, let's say someone realizes physical energy is where they're having a drain. Here's the good news. People say to me, where do I start? And I say, wherever you are most motivated, whatever's causing you the most pain, go there. So let me give you an example because everything's connected. Yeah. So. If someone says, oh, I want to move more in the new year, okay? That's mine, actually. Mine is writing a book and traveling as much as I do. Oftentimes, the first thing I give up is movement. Okay, so this year, I decided I'm going to move. All right, great. When I move in my body, there's something called ATP, three phosphates and adenosine. That's energy in your body. So the way the body gets energy to help you move is ATP, adenosine triphosphate, breaks into adenosine and three phosphates. That's how you get energy. Well, guess what? That adenosine goes up to your brain and helps you sleep better at night. So now I say I'm gonna move. So now I'm gonna get the endorphins and I'm gonna be breathing. I'm gonna get feel more energized, alert. I'm gonna be connected to nature. And guess what? I'm gonna be like, oh, wow, I'm sleeping better. I slept through the whole night. That was amazing. All these things are all interconnected. Now, the other thing that's really amazing, the research has been has shown that, well, 20, 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes of jogging and walking has been studied the most. And if you do that four to five times a week, it boosts your mood and it's as effective as taking an antidepressant. So now you do this one thing. You just said, oh, wow, I need to move my body. My joints are getting stiff. Okay, the truth is I'm 53. And so that's also playing in, which is like, I can't sit still now the way that I used to. Okay, so wherever you're having the pain point, do that. Now, all of a sudden, emotional energy is lifted because I'm not feeling low. I'm not feeling the winter blues. Oh, wow, I'm sleeping better. Wow, now I have more, more ability to do what I need to in the mornings, right? So I guess what I really want to tell people is figure out where you're having a net gain and a net drain. Then once you understand you, you have that awareness, do one thing that you are most called to do. And the way you figure it out is by listening to your own energy, not your mind. If your mind says, oh, you're fine, but your body feels constricted, heavy, heavy tight drained when you're filling out the questions on you know i can give your group if if you can post it i'll give you the burnout assessment quiz with a mini video series of me walking them through it that i gave out on my book tour you know so there's a a form that you're filling out but it's not just the form not just your head your mind doesn't get to decide here alone It has, you have to partner with your body. Remember how there's data inside us that we've tuned out of. So use your mind and your body, go through this and we'll post it. You know, we'll post it below for you. Great. So
1: I'll definitely put that in the show notes. So, um, so I I really like this idea of the sort of the, the drain working out where you are and doing a a sort of a register and weighing it up and then thinking about it. You talked about
2: physical, emotional, spiritual, take it, go right here in your body. Okay. Yeah. You go physical, and I outline the whole body because the body is a big data machine. Physical, get in the elevator, go down. Mental, yeah. Get in the elevator, go down. Emotional, right? So physical, mental, emotional. Then in my belly, I I think of that as creation and social connection. Yeah. And then uh, spiritual which I think just like, I go all the way to the bottom, like grounding, like whatever grounds you, right? In the, in sometimes it's nature. Sometimes it's our belief in humanity, science, the next generation, it's about the unknown. And it's about when, where do you feel most like yourself? Where do you feel, where do do you feel in, you know in your peaceful heart? Where do you feel like, oh yeah, I'm at home. Sometimes for people, it's their own religion, their spirituality, you know, how, how they relate to spirituality. So people ask me, why did you put spiritual energy in a business book on burnout? And I say, because it's actually the most important level. It's the most, if you want to start solving this, you have to tune into your body and the physical signals that your physiology is giving you because it will stop you every time. Okay. Okay. But underpinning all of that is your spiritual energy, which is about what matters most to you. What are your highest values? Because that'll tell you how you make decisions and where you spend your energy and time. I also talk about self trust. We're in a world where there's so much change happening that it, where you are willing to take risks and where you're not willing to take risks will determine how much you trust yourself. But more importantly, in a company, it determines where you'll take risks and innovate. And we all know that any company that's going to survive in this in this world now has to be able to innovate. So people have to trust themselves and they have to have psychological safety with each other and teams in order to take risks and make mistakes. And then finally, it's about, do you feel appreciated and valued? And Do you, are you connected to something that matters and has meaning to you individually in your job? And how does that connect to your company? I mean, that's
1: interesting. The belonging thing, those are very much linked with engagement, the whole sort of we thing. What you're talking about, I mean, spirituality, sometimes is just a term that people don't don't love. Um, But I think when you link it to something like values, that can make you very stressed or not stressed. If you're in an organization where your personal values align then you're That's going right. to be better than if it's the other way around. So it's it's highly relevant in terms of knowing yourself, isn't it? It's um, huge. It's
2: huge.
1: In terms of taking it wider, I suppose just in our sort of last five minutes or so, um, you were going there, I think, already in terms of as, as individuals, we come. Kind of, the message is we need to know ourselves first, and part of that, as an HR professional, for example, is role modelling. You know, if we get um, what we're doing, this is you know, this is what I do to look after my wellness. You know, it might not be the same thing for you, but this is what works for me. So it's it's authentic. You're then going on to we and then this overall culture. What would you say, you know, as HR professionals who could maybe influence the culture um, to be less burnout um, oriented, if you like, what's, what should we do in those circumstances?
2: Well, let me just give you the research. Let me give you the research on what are the six drivers that determine a personal and organizational fit? Because when these aren't happening, this is the biggest driver of burnout and Um, so I told you before that when I was sitting in that psychiatrist's office, what he said to me is this is not your fault. Yes, you may have contributed to it in the ways you coped with the stress that you're in, but this is me, we world. Yes. So now what we're talking about is what is going on in the fit between that, that research shows is causing the biggest drivers of burnout. So here we go. Number one, workload. Now, it's not that people don't want work to do. In fact, people want a challenge, but it's more about whether they feel they have the resources, time, and support to meet the challenge. So it's not like, oh, you need to give your people less work. It's about thinking about how they are supported in a challenging workload so that they can achieve and accomplish. Okay, number two. Number two is about control. So. In their jobs, when they see something that they think could they could do better, how much control, autonomy, flexibility do they have to fix that thing and change it? Or do they have to go through a ton of red tape and it's a big drag to make that happen? Big drain of energy there, second one. Third one is recognition. Not just at the annual company meeting or town hall that happens, but every day, every week, When everything goes well and there is no crisis, how are you reinforcing, not just from leaders, but from each other? How are you creating in meetings ways that people can appreciate one another and it's part of the culture? Four, community. How strong are the bonds personally and professionally? Personally too, laterally with peers and uh, vertically with leadership. How strong are those connections in community? Because if they're not strong, big driver of burnout. Yeah. Fifth is fairness. And this is about decision-making. Do people have input into decisions that affect them? Do they believe that decisions are being made transparently and in a fair way? If they don't, that is a way that people get really deflated and disengage and head down the path to burnout. And lastly is meaning and purpose. How clear are they about the outcome, the vision, the purpose of your company, and the impact it's going to make in the world? And how clear are they how their individual role that they put their energy, time, and you know effort into, how does that further the company's purpose and impact? That's called meaning. And so really quick, it's, workload, but not the actual workload. It's about support and uh, resources to achieve it and meet the challenge. Second is control, which is about flexibility and autonomy. Third is about recognition. Fourth is about community. Fifth is about fairness and transparency and decision making. And six is about meaning and connecting all this work and effort that they are making into the impact that uh, they're making. So is that helpful on the yeah, and what I like
1: about that is I feel like we that's a strategy. So if, if I'm an HR um, professional, I want to, of course, I can help someone, but it's a, it is the sticking plaster, right, and help someone in the here and now. And I can say, oh, actually, go off and help yourself rather than, you know, prevention start with you. But if we want to look at it at a big overall sort of systemic level, these yeah. are the sorts of things that... Um, drive or otherwise and it's interesting how many of them link into other things so engagement some of the things about having the resources there you can see links into neuroscience in terms of where things are fair and um, perceptions there and belonging and lots of research as you say that's out there so those make a lot of sense if I was an HR professional wanting to look more
2: holistically those are the things focus on. And were you speaking about what can the HR professional do themselves what's the first thing they can do for themselves is that what you were asking?
1: Well, no, I I was thinking the first thing you do for yourself, I suppose, is role model the things you're talking about yourself. So work out your own net gain and and maybe um, I guess share it with other people. You could. So I'd
2: say do 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 the uh, pulse assessment, which is like take your fifteen minutes, do the assessment, get awareness on yourself. Secondly, what I'd say is start tuning in, start tuning into your own body, figure out your body's unique signals. For me, when I'm a people pleaser, when I'm giving up my own. Desires so that I can support somebody else, the way it shows up in my body is throat constriction and stomach turning. That's the unique language my body speaks to me in that tells me before anybody else knows, oh, I just gave up myself in this meeting to belong. And so if people don't know, now for other people, it's sweating, it's heart racing, it's muscle tightness in your lower back everybody's is unique Mm. they but you I can't help you know that you have to know that and so that's why that's actually uh empowered by me uh in the book it's chapter four it's called deciphering your body's unique language great so
1: it's know yourself first and foremost which which makes total sense and we are all going to have our own tells and you start with you but these are the things that then we can go out with and share with other people as well
2: yeah, um, why, why wouldn't it? we why wouldn't we create a collective experience where everybody is learning and growing together? Because now you have a common experience that makes it safe for us to say things about ourselves, for us to, I mean, I really believe the future is company-wide wellness programs where CEO to new hire, everybody's learning, growing, sharing together as we all move forward and we develop a common language that bridges us across generations.
1: And and by that sort of being open about a CEO being open about what they do to manage their wellness or to avoid themselves again that's a great role modeling of, of these sort of things taking away the sort of things that inhibit it going forwards and again linking yeah. to the
2: culture there. We're a world looking for trust again in ourselves and in each other and if leadership is not modeling this, and that's why you got to make it safe yes. um, and you can't make up things. It has to be really authentic. People can tell a mile away when you're just saying something to say it and they can tell when you feel it. And so there's there's a, a really clear way where you teach a tool, then you have dip people, immerse them in it a little bit. Oh, what is this for you? oh, wow, how about everybody else? What do you think about this? And so we just take them in steps because if you do it too quickly or you don't do it in a really careful setting, people feel too vulnerable, too exposed. Like I just told my boss that my heart races in a meeting. Like, no, 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 no. You have to do it in a really safe uh, way. And then what happens is an entire organization starts to open in truth, trust, transparency, and transformation. And then all these measures that we're trying to measure independently, I promise you, they are a byproduct of creating a culture in which people trust themselves, trust each other, collaborate, innovate, and feel valued, feel purposeful, feel connected. All of it, physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual, it's all underneath the metrics that we're trying to elevate
1: so the the, the well-being is, is an output of us doing these things in the first place. Yeah. Fabulous. Um, thank you, Nia. It's been wonderful having you on the podcast. Um, I'm going to give you the opportunity just to say how you we can you know, get hold of you, see your books. Um, we'll yeah. Ideally, we'll get the link to this burnout questionnaire and put it in the show notes. Sure. Um, I do where to go for those, so that would be great. Would you like Too to bad. just um, give some
2: closing points and tell people how to get in touch with you if they wish to? Absolutely. So... You can find me at intuitiveintelligenceinc.com. So we'll put that in the show notes as well. I have written two books. Um, I have them here, so I'll show them to you quickly. But one of them is called Talk Rx, Five Steps to Honest Conversations That Create Connection, Health, and Happiness. What this is about is leaning into conflict. The second one is called Powered by Me, which is the burnout book. And you can see the battery here. Uh, from burned out to fully charged at work and in life. And that is the one that just came out in 2023. So Brilliant. yeah, you can get a hold of, just the website is probably the best. And if you want to contact me, it's Neha, N-E-H-A, at Intel with two L's at the end, dot com. Neha um, at intuitiveintel.com.
1: We'll put those links in the show notes. Thank you once again. It's been lovely to join you. I apologize. I feel like I'm a bad example today, having a cough. No, you you know know what's
2: what's most, it's not about us not burning out and it's not about us not getting sick. It's about us listening and what we do next. So I'll tell you that, you know, that whole adage, like lemon, ginger water or hot tea, right. And some sleep, all your body needs is for you to give it the rest that it needs. And it'll kick in your immune system repairs while you sleep.
1: Definitely, definitely. Right. I'm definitely, hopefully I'm improving at a, at a higher rate when I would do previously. So I had my turmeric and um, ginger in my soup yesterday and today. So hopefully that will help. So uh, lovely to have you on the podcast here and um, wish you lots of success with your book. And you're also, you're over in the UK, aren't you? In March, at the happiness summit,
2: is that correct? Yeah, it's called the World Happiness Summit, March 19th and 20th. Uh, I'll be giving a keynote there, and I'll be there for the week. So I'd love to, uh, I'd love to meet you guys. Yeah, and any HR uprisers, go along and, and say hello.
1: <laughs> I would love that. Brilliant. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the HR
0: Uprising podcast. Thank you. Bye, everybody. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague, or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now, you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There, you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast.